0: Welcome to the Dirt Reporters podcast for the week of September 14th. I'm your host D. Swab, Derek Kessinger, joined by the editorial staff of Kevin Kobach, Robert Holman, and Kyle McFadden. And Kevin, not one, not two, not three, not four, but five World 100 titles for JD. Superman is becoming an all-time great before our own eyes. I've been going to El for over years. I've nothing like this just flat out dominating since 2015 we know the stats he is unconscious at Eldora he made it look so easy saturday night Kovac he is just uh in a different area code when we go to the big e
1: yeah this place just number one he loves the place i mean he absolutely positively loves eldora uh i mean i think i, I, think I wrote about it you know last year before you know the uh one of the crown jewels like his crew guys uh i'll say, he puts goes into eldora mode he, be, he becomes a werewolf or something you know like eldora week he, he just gets so focused on it and you know back in the when he won the million back in june i mean he was in eldora mode for weeks before that because he just knew that that was i mean hey that was like when you're good at a place like that and you got a million dollars on the line it was like a you know yeah your lottery odds winning the lottery were very very good and, and so he put so much into it and he did uh, come through with it and then he comes back here in september and, Adds fifth World 100 to his his resume uh, in, in just eight years. Uh, that's really, it's amazing. He's, he's, what, that's a better than 50% win percentage now, I think, in his whole career in the World 100. And, you know, you got guys like Shannon Babb and you got guys like Chris Madden who have been going for two decades and still can't get their first one. Uh, uh, that just adds that little, even more uh, significance to what he does there. But, uh, and like you said, he, he was just so much in control. Really. He lost the lead, you know, lap 38 restart. I believe it was. I mean, there were so many restarts in that race. A lot of them for just cars stopping on the racetrack and not even no, not real incidents or anything, uh, but just, uh. Uh the cautions come out and, and it would kept giving Brandon Overton a shot at him on restarts. And one restart Brandon was able to get that good run and kinda slide mm-hmm. him going into three to take the lead for uh well sixteen laps, I believe it was. As soon as the next restart and now, you know, another restart chance for, for Davenport, he takes advantage of it and goes away. and then it's a man won by more than straight away. I mean, he I I I did forget that he won the first Eldora World 100 back in 2015 by like 10 seconds. He was like a half a lap ahead when he won that one. So it, this wasn't his out win, but once he got back in that lead everybody knew that I think uh this this was over. I mean, everybody thought it was over when he got the pole from the sixth started, you know, when he won the 16th from the sixth starting spot. But uh there was that little little break there in the middle, but then after that it was it was game over for the, for the field. Once he got back in the lead.
0: Yeah. And it was, uh, he's winning so much there, Kovac. I asked him after the race, I'm like, you're getting booze and driver intros more than bloomer. And maybe just a little bit less than Pierce, only for the fact that you just keep winning Kyle. That's just how good he is there for your standpoint. I know it's historic. It's pretty awesome. He's dominant. Is it kind of boring though? Knowing that we kind of all knew that he was going to go out there and put on a show. And I, Say if he didn't start twentieth in that dream remake, who knows? He could have swept the weekend. We'll get to. I guess we can talk to Overton here in a second. But man, it's just what he's doing is just out of control, and it, it was just dominant from the get go. And I think all four of us going out there deep inside knew he was probably going to win one of these this weekend.
2: Yeah, when he was, um, I look back at the heat race, right? I mean, he like had no issues making his way to the front, and he even had a. I think there was a a quick caution or something like that early on in his 15 lap heat race. But by then he was already up the second or third. Like it was inevitable. I felt like at that point and and watching that heat race and knowing that, you know, he was going to win that be on the pole. And it's, it's, it's just like, okay, we've seen this before, you know, here we go again. Here's, here's JD who is noticeably better seems than everybody else. I mean, you just watch him. Earl Pearson said or or told told Kovac in a quote I used um for a story I did on Sunday that you just watch him coming off the corner and he looks like he's 5 miles 5 miles per hour quicker than than the next guy you lay your eyes on and so uh just just how good he is and and obviously it's uh it's just incredible to watch um, in terms of if it's boring, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, it's certainly monotonous if you want to, you know, want monotonous into boring. I was looking back through his, you know, I mean, he's won five of his 11 World 100s. He made his first start, feature start in t- 2013. I was just looking through our history. Now, he came eighth and in 13th and, and 14th and, uh 14th. And so, and then obviously, you know, won his first in 2015, and so he's won five of his eight cents, right? And you know, has an Intercontinental Classic in there too, has a Dream in there too, and um, and has a million in there too. So it's crazy, you know, to just kind of sit back and and watch it, and you know, I heard some booze for the first time out of JD and uh, Driver Inc. Right, so. We'll see, which I'm not surprised about, you know, I feel like that was coming in his case and he handled it well, I feel. And so we'll see if he stokes the coals there and, and kind of eggs on the booze or invites the booze or, you know, takes on or embraces the totality of the role that he's in right now, which is just complete domination of, of not only Eldora, but this crown jewels in general. um, he's never won a Knoxville nationals going into this week. We can talk about that later, but you know, he's got to be the favorite there too. That wasn't on a schedule. I feel like two weeks ago, but it is now. I don't know. You know, it's uh, you put him in, in sixth or like whatever, and, and maybe give Overton the start up front. Um, you know, you can kind of go back and, and, and replace scenarios and hypotheticals in your head and, think about, you know, what would have it or what would it take for somebody else to dethrone Davenport, but I mean it's just as I said, you know, you just watched that heat race. After I watched that heat race and he just made easy quick work, I'm like, okay, this I I think we're all racing for second here tonight or I think the fields racing for second as good as Madden has been this year and as good as Overton has been here recently. It's just uh it's just remarkable, you know, I mean, in a, a time and age where we all say, you know, things are closer than ever with these cars and and uh, the rules and, and just the Titan regulations, I mean, Danpour's completely uh, debunking that theory, you know. It's just uh, – it's incredible. So,
0: Kovac, you wanted to add something there? You had your hand up.
1: Uh, yeah, I just wanted a, real, uh, a quick mention about – you know, the boos that did come to uh, uh, Davenport when he was introduced and when he got out of the car in victory lane, he heard him. He said he heard him. I think he even did a little, little, you know, a little, he goes, he called it the, you know, the, the wrestler thing. He said, you know, like, and we we'll put his hand to his ear and listen to him to play with the crowd a little bit. So he, he played that up. Uh, uh, he, it's not like he's not used to like, you know, the people kind of turning on him. He said he goes back to his legends car days back when he ran on asphalt as a teenager. He said he I mean, he put up some huge win numbers back then, and he said people were actually coming up in, to him and 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 offering to pay him not to race, just so everybody else would have a chance. But I don't think it's going to come like that. He said he's going to, for him not to do that in a late model race, he has to get double the first place prize money available. So I don't think we're going to be seeing that. But um, <clears throat> he is, uh, he he was aware of those boos, and he knows that they'll be coming when you know, you win at the rate that he is at a place and uh and it and it does get a little bit you know like there's a little bit of a uh, all right here we go we're gonna have to come up with another you know storyline on Jonathan Davenport winning that you kind of I mean as writers we like to see stuff different happen uh, and get some new winners and stuff but you know when when, when Davenport does win I, I I know he he breaks down a race so well all the time I'm not that concerned about like oh you know if there there be if there's a guy if he was a guy that couldn't really explain things well and give you really good quotes, then it'd be a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, frustrating that the guy keeps winning, but Davenport, you know, I'm always confident of getting, of getting good stuff from him, even if he wins every race. So, uh, that, that's, uh, that's kind of like my angle there on like, if it gets, if it's getting boring, I know the fans though, obviously the fans though do want to see some different winners because there's a few of them that are booing him.
0: Yeah. He has like the Donnie shots effect that, The Knoxville Nationals, they always boom there. Then he didn't win for
1: a few years. I
0: feel like everybody was cheering for him this year. So maybe if J.D. decides not to win four or five years in a row and he finally gets one again, then they'll be uh, happy. And speaking of being so much faster, me and Rigsby were sitting on top of the press box, and Bobby Pierce is whipping around the cushion. He passed uh, two cars. I think he was getting ready to pass Ricky Thorne. He passed Ricky Thorne, and then he was getting ready to pass McCready. And you think he's going so fast. You look down, race monitor. Davenport's last lap, the same lap was one point four seconds faster, so he's just different. He's just an animal there. Robert, we're gonna talk more about j d in general and more in depth. obviously Overton won the dream he wins his third straight, but what's some what are some observations you got from the big e from the infield this year?
3: uh well, you know well uh, Kyle kind of mentioned uh, uh briefly um you know about the sixth heat race and Davenport's victory there. To me, that was the key moment of the entire three-day weekend because, and in fact, it's not so much, uh, it is that Davenport won it, but think about this. That caution comes out with five laps in that heat race. Jensen Ford is is leading the race, so I'm going to blame the fact that JD stunk up the show in the feature. I'm going to blame it on Jensen Ford because Jensen, or the caution, but I'm going to blame it on Jensen Ford because Jensen Ford is leading that race, and he drives into, uh, into one and two on the restart and kind of pushes up the racetrack and kind of floats up the track in one and two. Dennis Erb is running second, and Dennis basically has to really check up to keep from just running through uh, Jensen Ford. Well, that allowed J.D. to just turn left and drive by them both. Uh, had the caution not come out, I don't know how it would have played out. I think I don't really think J.D., the way the cars are with J.D. back in third, I don't really think I honestly don't think you would have won the heat race. He could have. Uh, he could have, you know, really turned up the wick and got under, you know, uh, Dennis and Jensen and gone on. Uh, that's pure speculation, of course. But uh, but we do know that had, had that caution not come out, had Jensen Ford not pushed up the track on the restart and things stayed the same, Davenport would have started 18th in the feature. And can you imagine how much different the whole 100 lapper would have played out? We could still be sitting here talking about how great Davenport is because he came from 18th to win. Who knows? Or we could be sitting here thinking, had Davenport started up, Closer to the front, maybe he would have won again. The scenarios we can go through them in our mind forever, but I really think the key moment for that whole three-day weekend leading into the World 100 itself was that caution and restart in the sixth heat that basically allowed JD to win to win that heat race and start that close to the front, start on you know in the in the top well on the pole I guess or wherever he started. So. Uh so yeah that that is uh, to me that's the the key moment uh right there. You put him back in 18th and we have a whole different race. Uh even if he wins it it's a different race. We have a different perspective because it's a better race, you know. Uh that's that's one of the things that that to me the key moment that sticks out to me. But then just to show you how how competitive these guys are um as as well, you know we we go around at the end of the night uh talking to Uh, talking to each driver to get comments from them. Uh, We want to get the, the, for, for this thing that we do, the special thing that we do for the world, 100 only uh, the, the 28 or however many starters there are. So this year, 28, 28 views of the world. We get a a quick snippet from each one of these guys. Um, Well, these guys are competitive, obviously. Um, Jimmy Owens, for instance, didn't even want to, he didn't talk to Kevin. He didn't talk to me. He he basically just refused to talk to us because he was so disappointed. Could you imagine being disappointed with finishing 12th in a race, paid $55,000 to win that had 107 entries? Well, that was, that was Jimmy O. And granted, he started on the front row. He wound up, I think he might have even gotten lapped. So I can understand he was very frustrated more than anything. Uh, I think frustration is probably the biggest way to describe Jimmy Owens after that race um, more because he's he's ran 20th before and and talked to us just like nothing was wrong and then but this I really think he had high hopes of really running well in this particular race. He starts on the front row and then uh, so I think it was mostly frustration from Jimmy Owens but uh, but that's how competitive these guys are. He runs 12th, uh, he runs 12th in the world 100. And uh, and doesn't want to talk to us, you know, after the race. So uh, so that kind of gives you a kind of a perspective of how big this race is and how important this race is uh, to, to these guys. Uh, you know, a lot of guys you look back, a lot of guys are happy just to make the race. There are guys that we talked to that, well, we were just in the sh- in the race and that was a big deal for us. But then uh, Jimmy Owens is such a competitor that uh, that 12th was was not satisfactory for for him. Um and then one of the other things uh that kind of stood out is and this is kind of I'm not as uh, Bobby Pierce in his family built car he's not the only people he's not the only you know there's Kryptonite and a lot of these other cars that are are family built cars that they not only sell but they they campaign themselves but uh you know Pierce was the only driver in the field with a Pierce race car And that's the way it's been most of the places he's gone this year. And I just think that that's really impressive. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a copy of something. I'm not sure if they've, you know, everything is a copy of something, but I'm not, I really don't know anything honestly about Pierce race cars. I just know that, that those guys are making it work. And I just think that's really impressive for a a guy to, uh, to have their own equipment and the, Things, something that they've built and to run as good as as Bobby Pierce does because clearly of all the people who are are manufacturing their own cars and who have a, a limited amount of cars in the fields that they go to Pierce is clearly the best and uh, so I think that's really impressive that uh, that you have a guy uh, that is uh, building their own stuff and uh, and you know Bob Pierce is no slouch obviously bobby pierce is a hell of a driver obviously but when you show up at a racetrack and uh and you're the only one or two cars there it does make it a little more difficult because there's really nobody else there to bounce ideas off of and stuff so again i don't know what if it's a copy of something or, or something or if it's uh, if it's their own exact design but regardless either way it's still very impressive and then I guess the only the only other thing is is how much money was paid this year. Uh, Tony Stewart added four more starting spots to make it twenty four to twenty eight starters. Uh, it pays fifty two hundred dollars to start, which is the uh, I guess the second highest of and all of the 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 biggies of all of dirt Lake model racing really. And supposedly, it's going to the start money is going to increase next year as well. I, it would probably, I would assume, go to fifty three hundred since this will be the fifty third World one hundred next year. But uh, for for the start money, granted, it costs a lot of money to go to Eldora for three or four days. It's you know your tire bill could be you know astronomical. Uh, pit passes aren't free. Uh, you know you got to stay there. You can't go anywhere. I mean, the diesel fuel is through the roof right now. Still over $5 in most places. So it's not cheap to get there, but $5,200. And you look at a guy like Dale McDowell, for instance, who won one of the features and then didn't really have a great, didn't really have that kind of, yeah, he finished, you know, top 10 again for the 19th straight time. But it wasn't, to me, it wasn't the Dale McDowell that we expected. We kind of expected Dale McDowell to continue to rally, even get up in the top five probably, maybe even challenge for a win. And so he won twelve thousand dollars by winning one of the prelim features. He picks up uh, only one hundred twenty-five dollars, I think, for uh, for his the second night when he didn't make the race when that when he had that uh, drive shaft issue, and then he picks up seven thousand dollars for finishing eighth in the in the World One Hundred. So not counting the dream, which I'm going to separate that because it was really June. We just continuation, but for the World One Hundred itself for that weekend, uh, McDowell picks up over. That's a pretty good weekend for those guys, even as expensive expensive as it is to go and race at Eldora. So there's a lot of money on the line there and uh, kudos to Tony Stewart and them. I don't think we'd all like to see a 24 car field at most places, but to me that track is, is so big that 28 just seems like the right amount of starters for the World 100. I hope it never expands beyond that uh, but the track is just so big it can take it because one of the things that you look for in a track like that, you want to see the leader get into traffic. And if we keep it to 24 and, and don't pay well, then cars start falling off after they start dropping out after a few laps in. You know, they're getting their start money and they're not they're running like crap, you know, like like Mike Marlar wasn't running that good. So he basically said, you know, I made a few laps and wasn't running that good. So I pulled off. Well, that's fine, but I don't think people realize how how those cars throughout the field in a race that if especially if the race goes uh, caution free for a long time, uh it's cool to see those guys get into traffic sometimes and if you limit the starters, you know, uh sometimes they don't get into traffic as much as as much as you'd like. And sometimes it we need that actual traffic to make it entertaining, especially when a guy like Davenport is just literally kicking everybody's butt out there.
0: Yeah. We like those lap traffics and long green, especially at the beginning when there's more race cars there. I think the the two prelims on Friday night were awesome because they were in lap traffic. And we had a kind of a final, I think the l- pass happened on lap 23 or 24 when McDowell passed Josh Rice Kovac, one of the best quotes of the whole weekend, though, was from Brandon Overton saying, hell, man, if he's going to keep winning on these World 100s and I win the big check, I'll take the big check. And dreams, he, and he wins his third straight. Let's talk about just Overton just really quick here before we get to our topic because I think we need to mention him winning $128,000. So that quote was very funny saying he'll take the big check and money as long as J.D. keeps winning those worlds.
1: Yeah, that, that's it. he hit that nail on the head there because – it's, uh you know, more than double the World 100, uh you know, payoff. So, yeah, Overton will gladly accept uh, winning three of those compared to, you know, just, you know, the, I mean, it's going to take more. It's going to take a lot of World 100s to equal out to what all the money that that Overton has won just in those last three uh, dreams. You know, he, he has a knack there for that one. I don't know. Like, I guess it's like, you know, Davenport has this knack for the World 100. And it's the same with uh with Overton now in the dream. And you remember, uh, Davenport. Remember, he won the dream, but he's never really won it crossing the finish line first. I mean, he when he crossed that finish line that year, in 2015, he was second behind Scott Bloomquist. It was an exciting moment there and uh, at the scales when Bloomquist was, uh, you know, light, and that gave the win to Davenport. But uh, so that was, uh, but it was Davenport was in a heck of a battle in those last ten laps in that race with Bloomquist for the lead and was pretty disappointed when he's sitting there as a as a parent second place finisher he wants to get a dream that he gets his own you know i mean just like daryl dale mcdowell won the world 100 when shannon Bab was uh disqualified and so he always wanted to get that dream you know and get get a crown jewel at eldora on his own and he finally did get it at uh in the dream you know years later uh it's it's the same with uh, with davenport in the dream but overton man uh, it's he is, you know, we talk about Davenport, but Overton, man, has really become a, an Eldora master here in the last couple of years. Uh, and I was, you know, it takes so much luck too at Eldora. And, and Davenport mentioned that everything you got to be. He said you got to be almost damn near perfect, the whole the whole event to to make it happen at Eldora. And and Overton. Uh, he's seen it. he has that little bit of luck in, in what I, he had a bad night on Friday in, in the preliminaries. had to qualify through the, through the B main. And then he, he finished, I think was like 14th, something like that. You know, I mean, you're like, man, that was a bad night. Well, guess what? It ended up being a good night for him because there was a six, uh, spun for the, uh, for the invert that put him third in the heat race instead of, uh, you know, possibly further, farther, further back. If, if it would have been a different, uh, inversion. And, and I, when he, when I saw that, I saw uh, Overton third in the, I think it was the fifth heat race. And I'm like, you know what, i I have a feeling that he might be the guy in the world 100. I think that's, you you have, you need those little breaks like that. You need those little strokes of luck. And so I, I really, when any takes the lead from Davenport in the world, 100, I thought maybe this would, you know, he's going to do another sweep of the, of the weekend at Eldora, you know, Davenport of course was too good. But Overton finished second. It's another great run at Eldora. I mean, another, I mean, that was a what, 128 for the, for the dream. And he got another 25, I believe it is for second in the world. So man, he he went over 150 grand, uh, in, in a weekend, nice, nice weekend for him. You know, he made more money than Jonathan Davenport did, uh, over the weekend. So I think he'll take that. Like, like you said, Derek, uh, his quote, he'll take it. He knows how to get around Eldora. He's making lots of money there now. And that's what, uh almost, uh, I mean, do some quick calculations, almost a half a million dollars in the last two years. That's pretty good. Yeah.
0: Overton has been fast. He likes those dirt late
1: model dreams. He, uh,
3: well, I would just like to, to say that JD would probably, uh, rebuke that by saying that he won a pretty lucrative race at Eldora yeah. back in June. Mm-hmm. So, so of all the money that, uh, that, uh, uh, Brandon has racked up over the last couple of years there. J.D., he won that that really, really, really yep. big check back in, back in June, so he still has more money there.
0: No doubt about that. J.D., Eldora Guru, Brandon Overton, he's had a couple decent runs there. We'll just leave it at that. Kyle, any final thoughts quick of Eldora? I think that was your first World 100 covering for us, right?
2: It was. Um, have we touched on the tire? role yet, or or I think we're going to get to that later, but um, yeah, no, a lot happened, you know, even though it felt like, you know, the prelims though, you know, they were good. Um, You know, had some drama there too with Ricky Weiss's, you know, uh, getting disqualified, um, you know, because of the, the, the deck height infraction and Bobby Pierce, you know, I felt like after even though that Bobby had lost his prelim, you know, coming across the finish line to a Ricky Weiss. Um, I thought that maybe if, if the top side or some kind of cushion would formulate to his, his, uh, strong suit on Saturday night that, you know, he'd really get on up there and, and, and challenge Davenport and Madden and Overton, but that wasn't the case. And, um, but yeah, no, I don't think I have any other thoughts other than that. You know, it was, uh, atmosphere was fantastic um and so it was really cool to just kind of take in a world 100 um you know being first time there for the world and so it was just cool to finally be there and just kind of soak it all in
0: hey and also you were the best dressed in the whole press box or media center there yeah. on friday you were sporty you sure. like same man grade.
1: you were he was black dance, man we, we just needed to saying, have him a hey, black buddy, shirt. He could have been hey, Johnny Cash. He would have been Johnny Cash you know, right there. Yep. The man in black could now. have been. Better than, Stepping better out than the a,
0: match shorts yeah. you had the day before. You looked great.
1: Hey, thanks.
2: I'm trying to expand the wardrobe just a wee bit more. So.
0: <laughs> oh, and exactly. the one more thing I wanted to talk about, Robert. I don't know. You had a lot of people on social media. I thought Friday's racing was good in the features and stuff. But a lot of people we saw complaining how the racing was ho-hum. It's hard to pass. That's all the drivers talked about. Greg Satterly, when I did my video project with them, saying, "Man, I felt so dang good when I was out in front by myself trying to catch those five guys in front of me. And then once I got to those five guys, man, it just my whole car felt completely different. Just I don't know. What do you think of the racing there? I think it had its it had some good po- points to it, but I think a lot of people and a lot of drivers could agree. Man, I don't know what we're gonna do about here. It's very tough to pass. It's very tough to you know." Get your car to do certain things when you're in traffic. It just seemed like a lot of drivers kind of threw them for a wrench a little bit. A lot of fans obviously noticed it as well.
3: Well, you know, there's several things that that you can do at a at a place like that to uh, to make it tougher on drivers. Uh, and I'm not I'm not one of these that say that the cars drive themselves. Like uh, uh, Davenport has kind of been back and forth on Twitter with somebody about. Somebody mentioned how, how the cars drive themselves now. But if you want to make it a little more difficult and you want to make the cars maybe slip around a little more, you could always, you know, take two inches off the spoiler. You know, we talk about the deck height and guys trying to get the cars up in there. If You want to keep the spoiler out of the air, take two inches off of it. You know, make them run a six-inch spoiler at Eldora. Uh, take two inches off the the nose at the beginning, of at the front of the car. Uh, get the nose up off the ground. If you look at some of these pictures, I noticed, a I uh, I think it was Hudson O'Neill's car. That thing was absolutely, whoever, I, th- I don't know who took the picture, maybe Josh James or someone, I can't really remember, but that thing was beautiful. The The whole right side was completely sealed off and the entire nose, this is going through the corner, and the entire nose was sealed off. Uh, it was absolutely beautiful from a, from a standpoint of, I wish my race car would do that. I wish I could get my car like that. I wish I could hang a body that I know that when it gets to that point, it's going to be like that because it was absolutely perfect. If you want to, you know, I'm not sure that you mandate changing springs. I'm not sure that you go further, you know, with more than the more than we already have with the droop rule. But if you want to, you know, the, the cheapest things right now, the the most economical things, honestly, is take two inches off the rear spoiler, and and take two inches off the front of the nose where you get the nose up off the ground. Now, what happens if you look at these noses on the cars? You cannot tell me, you cannot tell me that these noses don't have more rake and more slope than the old wedge noses used to. They're the same. They just got different floppers, elfin ears, whatever you want to call them. They're the same. You look at those cars and the noses, they're wedged noses with just a little bit of that factory look. And there's not factory, let's just not joke. It's not factory look. You know, it's some some factory stickers out there on the front, but beyond that, they're wedge noses now. So you can do a little bit right there, and I'm not sure it's gonna make the racing any better. I don't want the track prep to be any different because I love the slick track, but I think everyone would agree that we do need a little bit more cushion about a foot off foot off the wall to give guys that really like to to get up there and scrape and scrape the wall and like Bobby Pierce uh, uh Brandon Shepherd uh, a lot of the Midwest guys uh, give give those guys a better opportunity to do what they like now i do not think that we need to start prepping tracks to try to make it more difficult on another driver. I don't like, like, uh, you look at Madden, uh, Overton, um, obviously JD, Scott Bloomquist. these guys are, are middle of the racetrack and down. Those guys really have their cars. That's where they want to run. So are we going to sit here and say, hey, we should prep the track differently so we can slow those guys down? No, not necessarily. We're not trying to slow those guys down. Uh, but we want to give, We'd be cool where everybody has an opportunity to to, to do what they do best. And uh, and Eldora is wide enough. Some tracks you go to, they're not wide enough to prep it where everybody has an opportunity to do what they do best. But you leave a little brown in the bottom, and a guy like uh, Tim McCready, Dennis Erb, some of these guys that live on the bottom can really get around there really, really fast. Then you have the middle at where everybody's winning at at the moment, and then you have a little bit of cushion up on top where some of those other guys I mentioned that's their forte. And then I think you would see see better racing at Eldora. I was a defender of the track the first two nights. I thought man, that racing was actually pretty good. The heats were good, prelims were good, two features were good, four features, whatever, pretty solid. But the hundred lapper. It was like it was a. I'll agree. It was a snooze fest.
0: Go back. You're agreeing with Robert. Um, you've been going Eldora for a long time. Obviously, you probably heard some drivers give their insight, as we should say. Would you? Uh, what's your perspective on it?
1: Oh uh, yeah, I, t- I totally agree with uh, what, what he's saying about like we need a little bit of a cushion. Yeah, you, you need that. I, w- one day I was walking through the pit area and you know stopped over at Tyler Herb's hauler and. Tyler was getting ready to go off for a hot lap, and and he, like, he he took my notebook, and he even wrote down a little comment about when he said, he wrote just, like, no cushion, like Daytona, you know, he's like, it's just everybody's just following, and, I mean, you see in that 100-lapper, those top four guys, you got Davenport, Overton, Madden, McCready, those guys were mirror images of each other, just going around that corner the exact same way, Uh, there was no I mean, you didn't even really need to search. There was nothing to search for at that point. Like Overton uh, mentioned after the race, like they, they ran the 30 tires, and, you know, in the 40 right rear this year. It's usually been 20s and 40s most times, and and with those 30s, he said it just was, it was, it was made it even tougher to to do any kind of movement to try to try anything else, but. There's also not a cushion there really I mean it's just a little tiny lip on the top of the track Bobby Pierce was trying his best to try to do something like like Derek said he was like looking like he was going faster than everybody else because he's up there uh you know just winding the motor out and everything and he and he picked up like two spots I think and end up losing one or you know I just there was there you can't charge at Eldora not not I mean I, yeah obviously you need to be smooth and you need to be patient and stuff that's that's a that's a trait a driver needs to have and it's a trait that like Davenport Davenport used to be a cushion guy when he won his first world 100 everybody said he couldn't win if there wasn't a cushion and so he made it his mindset to to get off that cushion and win it you know in the middle and that's what he does now but there's not much of a cushion anyway to run now you have to run like that and as a fan if I'm, if I'm sitting there as a fan a spectator watching this uh watching Eldora I want to see, uh, anywhere, I want to be able to see a little bit of a cushion out there. I want to be able, to, a guy to have something that they can go up there, and it's exciting to see a guy, you know, like just tossing it in on the top and trying to make something happen and and manhandling that car, and he's on the edge. They're going to be on the edge. They might hit the wall. They might throw the deck out, but they might be able to tame that cushion like a Bobby Pierce somehow has a has a knack for doing. And it might only last five laps, but man, there's a restart or something. And a guy could get up there and like hit that turbo boost. Like I, like people say about Fairbury, they, you get the turbo boost for a few laps. If you can really get up there and, and, and wheel it on the top, that makes it much more interesting. And in and, and the, this year, it just seems like everybody was just kind of out there running and, and there was no charging at all. I mean, I, I know McDowell came from what, 25th to like eighth or something. But did it feel like he made a charge of 17? McCready went from, what, 14th to four? I talked to McCready out in the parking lot afterwards, and he was saying uh, as he was getting in his car to leave, and, and he said, I mean, I, I moved up spots, but I didn't really. I think I passed one car. I mean, literally, actually, under green flag conditions, passed one car. Other than that, it was just on all these, these there was a million restarts, and he would just be able to pick up a, a spot or two each time. And Next thing you know, he's in the top five. Because, you know, he knows how to position himself. But he said, I, I wasn't wasn't going charging by anybody. Uh, one of, And I'll finish with this. This is just Tyler Herb. Another uh, thing that he said is if the track stays the way it is, I mean, just nice and smooth, which looks nice. I mean, you guys want smooth tracks, but you have to have some, uh, a little bit of, uh, you know, unruling this up top, I guess, with a cushion. And, and Herb had said, if it stays like this, we're just going to see da- Davenport. Uh, Madden Overton and McCready guys. I mean, they're, they're going to be, they'll be up there for the next 20 years. <laughs> you know, it'll be the same thing there. There won't be any, you know, Bobby Pierce throwing it, you know, like when he, he came from pretty far back when he won in 2016, you know, you, you're not going to see that there's no charging going on. Uh, it doesn't seem like it can happen. And that's what needs to be brought back. I believe maybe with tires, maybe that tire deal will, will help with that uh, body rules, whatever. But I think some racetrack uh, cushion would help that too.
0: Kyle is JD on his way to becoming the best of all time after this performance and how he's doing this year. I still say he has about 10 years of prime left, so who knows how many races he can win. He might not have the total wins as Moyer and Bloomquist in their career, but I think he's going to be up there in Crown Jewels and Eldora You know, lore of having just as many Crown Jewel wins there.
2: you saying best of all time at Eldora or best of all time, period, like? Best I think period. Driver. I think he's
0: in the conversation. I think he's in the top 3 or 4 before. now.
2: Before this weekend or before this week, I would have to absolutely say he was in at least the top 5, absolutely, um or um uh, probably the top 4. And then after, you know, Saturday and just how that all kind of, sh- you know, played out, Fifth Globe and 8 years and in the fashion he did it and um you know, I would have to say so. I mean, the only thing that's really slowing him down, or there's a few things that could slow him down, is premature retirement. You know, him him basically being content with whatever he's accomplished at some point down the line, and 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 just kind of hanging it up and you know walking off in, into the proverbial sunset, or Brandon Overton, or you know somebody else stepping up and and. Challenging JD here, but I would have to say so. I mean, he's proven here lately that his historic pace is, seems to be sustainable, even though I'm sure at some point in time, um, I mean, like, is he going to win? I mean, he could win a seventh crown jewel this year uh, at Knoxville. And, you know, you have to think back to his 2016 or 2015 season. He won what 26 races and he won 6 crown jewels that year. He's got 20 wins this year. He's got 6 crown jewels. If he wins Knoxville, right? I mean, you know, it just continues to add to that conversation. And so um I would have to say so. Um, you know, I mean, you can compare the eras and stuff and obviously, you know, the the styles of racing and and just uh, the complexion of uh, you know, back in the 90s and early 2000s is obviously just a little bit different than what we're dealing with here now as to what, you know, Kevin and Robert had mentioned just with the cars and just the way that uh, you have to pace your race program these days. Right. And and just how you have to set it up and, and evolve as a driver. It's obviously different than the 90s and the 2000s, but I would have to say so. I'd have to say that JD ends up or he's he's definitely on the path to becoming the greatest um it's interesting how this conversation has evolved you know it's it's gone from has jd locked up the driver of the year to now is jd you know because even a month ago two months ago not all that you know long ago we were kind of talking about can madden does madden have enough left in the tank this year races and and on his schedule to uh keep up with jd and the driver of the year and now we're you know talking about jd as 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 is he on the on the path to becoming the greatest of all time. You know, it's just remarkable um, just to see what he's doing.
0: Robert, your turn. What do you think? I know uh, J.D. still has 10 years, I would say. Like I said, 10 more World 100s, at least tie or surpass Moyer. The way it's going, I think he'll be able to do that. Obviously, it'll be very tough, I think, maybe to get to as many crown jewel wins as Scott Bloomquist has as with 12. But just overall, him winning some national championships, him winning these crown jewels, do you think he has a shot to get up there? I know you're like, I know you're a big advocate for Bloomquist and Moyer. Do you think he has a shot here?
3: Well, you have to, you know, further than that, I'm a, I'm a probably a bigger advocate for Jeff Purvis. Uh, so I think the problem with Jeff Purvis is that uh, he didn't stay in our sport and on the dirt side of it long enough uh to uh, but honestly i really feel like and again speculation but i feel like had jeff purvis stayed in our sport long enough he would actually be above scott bloomquist and billy moyer so uh, and i think kind of what um what davenport has surpassed purvis in the fact that uh how many of these wins he has in a short amount of time you go back and look at uh at at Purvis's record, you know, his three world 100s came within like a four or five year stretch too, I think, you know, so, so there's very, very similar. The only thing is that, uh, uh, you know, that Purvis didn't, didn't stick with it. When you look at, uh, when you look at guys like, uh, uh Scott Bloomquist, Billy Moyer, you know, Scott Bloomquist's last world 100 win came in 2014, you know, his first one obviously came, way back in 2000 i mean i'm sorry in 1988. so there's a lot of a lot of space there before uh in between his two wins which tells me a ton of of the longevity you also have to look at jd and i think what is impressive with jd is that i think he's three of his i think he's won the world 100 with three different car owners maybe three different teams so that right there is very impressive to me. Uh it's not it, it's not just like the Lance Landers stuff which which is what he's had a ton of success with as of late, but uh he also won with G.R. Smith, he also won with Kevin Rumley. It's very impressive to win. I thought it was really impressive the when he won with Lance Landers saying, "Oh, this is the third his third world 100 with a different team." I thought it was impressive. Well now he's stretched that out to to beyond that. Now it's his fifth world 100 and and he's really established his his dominance as being the person, you know, to beat when you show up there. We talk about historical perspectives. Let's look back when I used to when I was going to the races late 80s, early 90s and I went to a race that Jeff Purvis was at there was no doubt. Everybody, unless something happened to Purvis, everybody else was running for second. Every, I mean, it's just, it's just like if if you got if you're sitting around with your friends betting, picking cars, and you got the first pick, and you didn't pick Jeff Purvis, you were a moron. And the kind of same thing now, or fast forward about four or five years later after that, it was Scott Bloomquist. And I'm I'm leaving Moyer out of this conversation necessarily because Moyer was not at as I was not at as many races that Billy Moyer competed in as I was at races that that Scott Bloomquist and Jeff Purvis competed in, mainly because of my geographical location where I'm at in middle Tennessee. I obviously saw Purvis and Bloomquist race a lot more than I saw a Moyer race. Not that I didn't know. I mean, Moyer came in nineteen ninety one to a race at Winchester, Tennessee, that uh that my family actually put on. Um, $6,000 to win race that um, my stepdad had rented the track and and just dominated the race. So it's not like I didn't know who Billy Moyer was. Of course, if you read a trade paper, you obviously knew how who Billy Moyer was. But also, you talk about Davenport's dominance at Eldora. My first three trips to the World 100, 91, 92, 93, it was Moyer, Moran, Moyer. I got tired. I'm like, golly, when I go to when I go to the world 100, is anybody else ever going to win this race? And that's, that's the way. So it's not like this is a new thing. It's just, it's just, it's Davenport's turn. Uh, Now, can he keep it going? Can he uh, go beyond the three guys that I just mentioned? That's up to him. I think it's up to him to decide, like I said, in fast talk, if he wants to continue racing, or if he'd rather go hunting and fishing, which I know he loves to hunt and fish and when you there's so much more money in the sport now when you want win as much money and again let's keep let's let's be honest he won a million but he didn't win a million dollars Lance Landers got some of that money so he didn't get to keep it all but he's winning at a high enough clip that he's his percentage whatever it may be is pretty damn good for a driver uh to not own his own team so he's making good money so that has will allow him to retire maybe, not necessarily when he wants to, but early enough, let's just say. And, and his dominance either. I mean, also, in 91, Moyer led lap 17 through 100 of the World 100. 92, Moran leads lap 36 through 100. 93, Moyer leads 28 through 100. So seeing these races being dominated by one guy is not a new thing. I think what you know, ninety-five Jack Boggs leads seven through one hundred. Ninety-six Moran leads one through one hundred. Leads every lap, so it's not unprecedented for one guy to just. When I used to go back in the day, when I first started going, I always there were people like, "How's the racing? How was it? What was your trip like?" And I'm like, "Well, the race, the feature sucked, but man, those those prelims, those six heat races, and everything leading up to it, the concies, and seeing a guy, you know." try to make his way into that race. Kind of like that concy where Bloomquist, Bloomquist, by the way, got a ton of cheers, by the way, when the crowd found out that that tells you how things have flipped Bloomquist got a ton of cheers. When you found out that he was in the show, those races were pretty good. So really has that much really, really changed. Um, I mean, 98 more, leads lap 28 through hundred. These are the best in our sport at that time. And they were dominating these big events. I don't think that we need to, like, throw in the towel just yet and say, oh, the racing's terrible or "or what's going on with our sport. Or It's not time to do that just yet, I don't think. But clearly, uh, Jonathan Davenport is the absolute best of this era. Absolutely. Right now, in this moment, he's the best of this era. And I'm saying 10 years and maybe the next five. So in this 15-year stretch that I'm projecting, He's the he's the best yes best of all time he has a lot of wins to go before he catch Scott Bloomquist or Billy Moyer
0: yep season in and today sport in today he'd be going down as, you know top five for sure a lot of time left to go Kovac finishes strong here before we get to one more thing I want your thoughts on this whole thing he's definitely the modern day I guess you can't really say modern day because Moyer and Bloomquist still race but he's definitely the new generation best currently.
1: Yeah. Eight, eight crown jewel wins already. You know, I guess, or you could say seven and a half or something, maybe if you don't want to put the full, you know, intercontinental was the $50,000 win too, but it was only, it was a reduced field because it was an invitation. So maybe you you give that a half a half a crown jewel then there. So, but he's close already to 12 that, uh, that Bloomquist had, it doesn't look like it could take him very long. They've reached that. I mean, what Moyer had eight crown jewels, uh, you know, Moran, six, I believe, you know, it, it, it's he's already climbing up to that. And, uh, the longevity thing is one of the, one of the, the, what puts him over the top, I think, though. I mean, look how long Bloomquist and Moran, I mean, uh, Bloomquist and Moyer have raced to become the, you know, the, the goats, I guess, you know, I mean, they're, they're still going, you know, they're, they're, Moyer's over 60. Bloomquist is approaching 60. Uh, so it, there, there's a guy that 38 years old and he has all these wins already. I mean, it, and after the race, we, I was standing there actually with Rigsby and we were talking with him after the press conference and uh in, in Davenport, uh, one of the questions, you know, was, are you, are you going to be racing into your fifties? Do you, are you going to be racing at the time, at the age that, uh, you know, Bloomquist and and Moyer still were. And I mean, and think about this, you Robert mentioned Bloomquist's first World 100 was in 1988. The last one he's won it was 2014. That's 26 years in between uh, first and last uh, World 100s. Is so that would put if Davenport would do that, 2015 to 2041. I mean, is he gonna win? Will he win? A, will will he still be racing in 2040? He'd be 57 years old if he does it. And and anyway, when we asked that question, that question was put to him are you going to be racing in your fifties? He's like, hell no. You know, hell no. He, he doesn't even know if he wants to race 10 more years at the amount that he's doing it now. Uh, he really doesn't want to, uh, to race really, really into his, you know, past fifties and then approaching 60. And, and that's going to cut down on the number of wins. I mean, that, that a guy could have, you know, if you, if you're going to cut your career short and even though you may hit like Purvis, you know, Hey, if, if he'd have kept going, he could have been the greatest of all time, but he was just the greatest of his little stretch, you know, and, um, uh, and, and Diamondport could do that. I mean, he doesn't like Robert said, and again, also guys make more money. Now this he's, he's going to be pushing even with this percentage, probably a million dollars now because he's over 1.7. If he keeps winning some more races at the end of this year, I mean, he could be actually. He could actually make himself a million. You know, depending on what his percentage is. Uh, none of those Moyer and Bloomquist, they didn't never never approach that kind of money on their own uh, in running all those races. They never had uh, that much. Uh, so, so they—if if Davenport's able to put money away and not spend it crazy, which I don't think he does—he could say, "All right." I don't have to keep racing to make money once I was up into his, into his upper forties. Maybe he can back off. He says he still loves it. He could, as crew chief, Jason Durham said, if he could run Eldora 40 times a year, he'd run it because he loves the place so much, but will he be able to cut back on a schedule and, and and only race, you know, a limited amount and still be good enough to run Eldora, win at Eldora all the time. Like he is now. I mean, you got to race a lot to be able to be that good to win at that level. So there's a lot of questions like that. Like, and when you talk about the, you know, the, the goat, uh, for the goat, uh, the discussion, uh, for, for Davenport down the road, but he's well on his way. I mean, he, he, there's another possibility too. I mean, look at Brandon Overton. He's 31 years old. He has four crown jewels. He has a lot of time left, uh, in racing also and how, how good he is. I mean, by the time he's 38, he could have more crown jewels than Davenport has now. So. A lot of questions, but I think Davenport definitely. If he keeps on this kind of pace, keeps you know, he keeps adding some more Knoxville and stuff like that. He could, uh, he'll be the greatest of all time if he if he keeps up, keeps going like this.
0: Yes, that will be a, another topic for another day. JD dominating the World 100 yet
1: again is fifth
0: in seven years. Then you can't forget Brandon Overton with the Surge straight dirt lay model dream. All right, guys, as always, we finish finish the show with. One more thing. I'm going to go first. Uh, They announced the other day, or I think yesterday maybe, that they're reducing the laps at the Knoxville Nationals from 100 to 75. And guys, digging up some stats, eight of the last 11 Knoxville Nationals, there's been a pass for the lead 75 laps or later. So it'll be interesting to see if we get those uh, historic finishes that we're used to seeing at Knoxville Cutting down those twenty-five laps—that's obviously one of the main reasons the racing has been so good and memorable at the Iowa Oval—is just so many last uh, hurrah passes that happened on the final twenty-five laps. So we're gonna have to wait and see and see if guys can uh, make their passes earlier. Just uh, something I saw for one for my one more thing is just to keep an eye on that as we go from one hundred to seventy-five laps. Robert, what do you got?
3: I, uh, well, you know, while we're talking about this. Uh the dominance and and near perfection it seems like of JD. I thought I'd kind of stick with the same theme uh, on a much you know a different level for sure. They're not quite at, quite the same level, but uh, Mitch Keeter, a uh, driver from uh, Webb City, Missouri, has won eleven of nineteen races on the Dirt Track Bank Cash Money Super Series this year. That is uh, an incredible win percentage. Going back to last year where he won nine races over the last uh, two years now on that tour, which those races usually pay 1000 to 2000 to win, and the rules are a little bit different, but it's it's still our sport. It's still late model racing, and uh, it's still uh, an incredible feat that uh, Mitch Keeter of Webb City, Missouri, has, has now won um, 20 races on that series over the last two years, and there's still a couple races left, and he's now... I think that series is three or four years old. He's now the all-time winningest driver on that tour and appears to, you know, the former modified ace uh, seems to be able to add to that a couple more times this year. So kudos to Mitch Keeter, who is really getting it done on the uh, the cash money tour this year.
0: Shout out to Mitchie. Good job as always. Kyle, what do you got? I'll be heading out to Knoxville
2: this week to cover – the Knoxville Weight model nationals with you there suave. So just wanted to toss that out there. And uh, I believe Chris Ferguson was planning to be at the Knoxville nationals this week, but uh, he tore up two race cars this past weekend. He's going to have to uh, take his race program back to the race shop and uh, regroup for the rest of the year. So all you Fergie fans won't be uh, Fergie. will be on the sidelines here for at least this uh, upcoming weekend.
0: That is some news we didn't want to hear. Best of luck to Fergie getting his stuff back together and finishing the 2020 or 2022 season. What up, Kovac? Finish strong with us, buddy. What do you...
1: Let me just uh, mention here first, though. Where the heck did you see this 75 laps about Knoxville, Derek? I'd never even noticed it. And then you say that and look on the website, don't see it. But then on the... It just is like buried in the press release for the Lucas Oil Series about the late model nationals from yesterday. It says 75 laps and like the fourth paragraph down they didn't even not even kind of like just that should be newsy wouldn't it when you think Derek I mean I don't know yeah, I mean you that-
0: say that's going down to 75 laps we'll have no pit stop I don't know why we're doing this because every single race we go to it seems like the pass happens in the final 20 laps. So we'll have to see how yeah, much that I, 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 the I, race moving I, forward.
1: I think it should stay a hundred. I like 100 at a hundred laps at Knoxville. I think a hundred laps for 50 grand is a, you know, at least 50 lappers and 60 lappers. And so I, uh, I don't feel like that's as, as you know, I, I just feel like it should be a little different for a 50 lapper, but I know that the fuel situation sometime, you know, it is like guys that don't have big enough fuel tanks. They don't put the big enough fuel tanks in for that race, but, yeah, that was kind of buried in the store. I didn't – thanks for pointing that out, Derek. I didn't even realize it was 75 laps until I uh, kind of just looked real quick at the, uh, you know, website. But um. But anyway, also I'll just uh, make a quick mention here for one more thing. Uh, hey, congratulations to old Devin Moran. He didn't win a race at Eldora this weekend, but he did get engaged. Did you see that? I mean, I I, I noticed that uh, a couple of days. I, I, at least it was up uh, – it was on Facebook that – that um. He got engaged to his longtime girlfriend, Lakia. Uh, So they're, you know, I mean, Devin was beaten to the punch on the on the engagement uh, deal by his uh, brother, Wiley, who got engaged a few weeks ago and and plans to get married next year. uh, Which I I can say that while also Wiley is apparently looking at the first weekend in October next year to get married, which would put that on the Pittsburgh weekend. But he says they have it all planned out so that Devin can still go run the the Pittsburgh that, that weekend, as long as the schedules are the same, but it will. So congratulations to Devin joining his uh, brother Wiley uh, as an engaged man.
0: The Moran curse lives on, but they're both going to have beautiful wives and family moving forward. Congrats to Devin and also congrats to Wiley getting engaged earlier this year as well all right guys it's been a great show it's been all jd at eldora congrats to brandon overton winning the dream as well uh people listening at home be sure to check out all the great stories post eldora and we kick right back up this weekend live on flow racing the knoxville late model nationals other races in between plenty of content RaceWire. Just check it out on Flow Racing at DirtOnDirt.com. Until next week, this is the Dirt Reporters. Thank you for listening.